The recording for the, the sermon and the talk I gave yesterday didn't come out very well, so I'm going to try and uh, give the gist of it in this synopsis and see how, how, how well it comes out. I'm going to read from Matthew 5, verse 13, following. Jesus said, You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled by men. You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way let your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. Father we thank you that you call us your children and we thank you for Jesus. We thank you that Jesus came into this world that we might understand life in a new way, in a, in a revelation way. And we pray that you will continue to teach us how to live in this world, but not be of this world. And to not spiritualize those words, but to actually realize that they are attainable and possible in this time for each one of us. So will your Holy Spirit give us encouragement? Will your Holy Spirit give us life as we read your word? In your name we pray. Amen. Earlier we we read from Psalm 24 and said the earth is the Lord's and everything in it the world and all who live in it for he founded it upon the seas and established it upon the waters. So it's it's an interesting question if the earth is the Lord's and everything in it what is left out? Think about that for a minute. If the earth is the Lord's and everything is in it what isn't included? And yesterday we asked for a show of hands and said, how many people believe that? And most people said, yes, we believe that. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. And we played a little bit with that and thought about it and said, be careful what we say. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. And you draw the conclusion and you realize, if the earth is the Lord's and everything in it, then there is nothing that is not His. And if nothing is not his, then everything belongs to him. And if everything belongs to him, then that includes me and everything that I possess. And that poses a dilemma, because we're going to talk a bit about, uh, really where I'm going with this is I'm wanting to give an understanding as to why it's valuable and important to, for instance, walk the streets of our city, walk the streets of wherever we live and uh, claim truths whether the streets and the people who live in those streets understand or even comprehend what it is we're talking about. There are two worlds that we're living in. There are two worlds we often speak about. There are two worlds the Bible talks about. The world of the kingdom of darkness and the world of the kingdom of God. The world that is captured in the scriptures as Egypt and slavery to Egypt and the world that is where God is gifting his people with possession and, and good things, and that is the promised land. And those two worlds live uh, superimposed on one another. Those two worlds are in the same place. Right where you are now, those two worlds exist. The world of the kingdom of this world, which is the tangible stuff, and the world of the kingdom of God, which is where the Spirit of God lives and is present and empowered. In the fallen world, in the kingdom of darkness, 
stuff, material things, uh, everything I can touch and feel and control is my reality. In the fallen world it's possession and ownership and we judge each other by what we own, what we have accomplished. We judge each other by our education or by what we wear, what we drive, where we live, how much we earn. It's all about possessions. It's all about measurable things. And the fallen world is all about ownership. It's mine. Mine, my time, my possessions, my life, my marriage, my relationships, my future, my past. You can get into victimizing on that way and you can get into supreme arrogance on that way. But it's all about mine. In the kingdom of God, the hallmarks of the kingdom of God are servanthood, giftings, uh, gratitude, freedom, an identity and value in who I am, not in what I have. It is extremely different. And Jesus really came to show that. We'll come to that in a minute. Let me give you an example. I had two guitars. One was a Norman guitar and one was a Guild guitar. And um, a long time ago, well not long, the first time I came to Canada, I bought this uh, Guild guitar in Montreal. I was quite excited. I didn't have a lot of money and I really took a risk in buying it. But I went downtown to Montreal because I was studying in England at the time and heard that you could get decent guitars for a reasonable price. So I went down to Montreal. I was in Montreal and uh, very uh, apprehensively but excitedly picked out this guitar which was a Guild for I think it was $600 at the time in 1980 and then lugged it all around North America as I sort of went on a student pass around uh, the continent visiting a few friends and uh, spending three months here so to cut a long story short I ended up uh, with that guitar you know when I came to Port Alberni but unfortunately during the time at uh, St Albans the, the guitar was stolen and then I also had a, a black uh, Norman 12-string guitar and some other time it also disappeared with the case uh, out of the church. Now I have, every time I go into a second-hand store around here or the pawnbrokers, uh, occasionally I always look at the guitars to see if my guitar is there. And notice that I said it's my guitar. And I also have two booklets. One's a Guild booklet that, that matches my guitar with its serial number and the other is the Norman guitar. I have those two booklets in my possession. Here they are. I mean, if you could see me now, I would show them to you. Now, if I went into a store or if I happened to come across somebody who was holding my guitar and said to them, that's my guitar, they would say, no, it's not. I bought this from so-and-so. And they'd say, well, you might have bought it from so-and-so, but it's actually stolen. It belongs to me. And the chances are they probably wouldn't hand it back. I might have to actually say, well, I'll give you some money for it. And that's just to me an illustration of the difference between God's world and the fallen world. In the fallen world, everything that is regarded as mine is actually stolen property. Because if it all belongs to God, then I'm under the delusion that what I possess is mine. The problem is when I come into the world I come naked with nothing and when I leave this world I go naked with nothing. So the things that I possess outside of my inner being are not things that ever travel with me beyond this life. I don't think that's just a metaphor, that is, that is truth. Because I'm speaking today about the truth of the Spirit is truth 
and the material is temporary. So I go and ask for my guitar back and the person is shocked because they don't realize that they, they I, let's presume they don't realize that they have stolen property. And God in his kingdom sees you and me and he has a little booklet, let's say, and he has your DNA and he knows the hairs of your head. He knows everything about you and he says, you are my possession. And he, Not possession in, in terms of um, a slave. You are the one whom I created. I know how you were made. I made every part of you. You belong to me in the sense that I created you for life. And I actually created you, uh, if you were a guitar, to be played by me. That the place where you will have your most truest, greatest fulfillment is with me. And so when he saw the world taken away, hijacked, uh, corrupted, because you know what evil does? Evil is not original. Evil cannot create. Evil takes what has been created and uses it for its own ends. Evil is not creative at all. So evil always takes what is not its own and uses it in a dark way. The fallen world is rebelling against God under the spirit of evil. And it will always say, mine, when in fact it is not mine, it is God's and it has been taken. Many people are therefore living in a place where they don't understand that they actually belong to another. And that other is really the source of their being and their love and their life, but they don't even know it. That's why for many, when they come to a new understanding and a new relationship with Jesus, and they begin to see God for the first time, they have a sense of completeness flooding through them. I know that's happened to me. When I first came to know Jesus, it was a sense of completeness, it was a sense of security, it was a sense of identifying with something far more than I could put words around. But my spirit, when I'm connected with God, feels whole. So, there are these two worlds, the tangible fallen world, which is our home, that's what, where we live, that's what makes sense to us. But we are all like stolen guitars in a second-hand store. Uh, it might feel a home for us, but when Jesus walks in and he says, you actually belong to someone else far greater, then the scales fall off and maybe I see something for the first time. God so loved the world that he sent his son to look for us who, who, were, who were lost. And what does lost mean? Lost means no hope, no self-control. Lost means striving, striving to fabricate my meaning and my worth around the stuff I have and the things I do. And we all know that the more you try, the more things you try and accumulate, it never satisfies. It never ends. We've actually just seen a horrific case in the news recently of a, 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 guy, a young guy with apparently lots of money killing his, girl, his wife and then hanging himself. It was in the news today. He apparently had all the material possessions but there was obviously something deeply flawed in his personality, which I would suggest would come out of pain, hurt, brokenness, all kinds of things. I don't know. But this fallen world ends up consuming us because it's never enough. And we become addicted to power or to influence or to other people's opinions. And it is the contrast, the dark contrast to the kingdom of God. Lost is a hallmark of living apart from God. And we become a prisoner. And so these two worlds, 
the world that is about what I can touch, feel, influence and try and impact from myself being centered and myself calling what is mine, mine. And there's the other, the, the world of the spirit that we can't see but is actually more real than what we can see. And that is hugely difficult for us to comprehend. It, it's so counterintuitive. But think of this, when, when God created the world in the beginning of Genesis, it says the Spirit hovered over. And out of the Spirit, stuff was created, material was created, the earth was created. And therefore, there's an element the Spirit lives on. Jesus said, seek first the Spirit, the Kingdom of God, and everything else will come, uh, will follow. And he's always saying, live from the inside out, understand that the Spirit is the place of truth, Eternal life begins now. Eternal life isn't after death. Eternal life begins now. We begin to taste heaven on earth when we begin to understand that God's Spirit is the Spirit that breathes life into us and breathes hope and joy and peace and purpose into us because the kingdom that we're rarely tapping into is not the tangible world which we have to leave. It is the world that we're going to go into and we're passing through this world really much like a baby passes through the womb of its mother in order to have to be birthed into, into another life. I've often used the illustration of it's rather like fish in the sea being told that there's a world beyond this one, the wet world that they know. And so we can have examples of how uh, a goldfish comp- you know, in, in a bowl is confined to that world and probably doesn't have any clue there's another world outside. Well, the same is true for us. We need a humility of spirit to understand that whatever we experience in life is still very, very limited. And so Jesus walked on this earth to reveal to human beings the potential, the purpose, the true plan for life as God created it to be. And so where we see Jesus, and when we look at Jesus, and when we read about Jesus, it's why it's so crucial to read the scriptures. It's why it's so crucial to build relationship with Jesus. Because Jesus is the place that God speaks. His word became flesh. The Spirit Word became flesh and then the Spirit Word was killed by those in the fallen world who couldn't handle what he was trying to say because it was challenging their possession. Jesus continually said, give back to me what is mine. And the tension between us is, no, it's mine. And Jesus says, give it to me. And he says, no, it's mine. What he actually says is, if you give me what you think is yours, if you give me back my possession, I will give it back to you but it won't possess you in the same way. You will be freed. And so very often, if you, if you want to know where the Spirit of God is in your spirit, just reflect on how you regard your time and your possessions and your money. How much do you say is mine? And how much do you say, God, I am your servant. You have graced me. You have blessed me with things that I don't deserve. I am incredibly privileged to live in this country. I am incredibly, incredibly privileged to have what I have. And I just say, Lord, use it. Because one day he's going to say, what have you done with what I've given you? You lived in Canada, you had a, a great work opportunities, you had the privilege of even having a pension. What are you doing with what I've blessed you with? Because you haven't worked any harder than somebody in Africa. You haven't worked any harder than a, a child, a child who's, and, and an adult who've, who've spent their whole lives working for, for corporations that have given you clothes in the third world. So what have you done with the possessions I've given? Because Jesus also said, you know, there's a truth that the rich will find it hard to enter the kingdom of God. And the reason is because 
we have so much stuff. So there's a lot of mine in my life. And I had to really wrestle with that as I came back into to ministry. I had to lay down the house that I built. I thought I wouldn't be able to even support myself. And I had to say, Lord, what, do you, what am I going to do? And eventually I had to say, you can have my house. So it's your house now. And he was gracious. I mean, I still am in that house. But I live with the sense of, Lord, if you want it back, if you, if you want it, you can have it. Because I settled it. Uh, in my own spirit, that all I want is to know the kingdom of heaven. And it's a grey area, it's a huge challenge, it's all over the map in terms of how that's worked out. And uh, we'll spend, and I will spend the rest of my life working that out. Because I want to grab it back, and he wants to say, John, learn to give it, learn to live free. So it's a process. And the encouragement is not to beat ourselves up and get guilty about it. The encouragement is to allow God to continue to teach us how to walk in this world content as servants and as knowing Him as a source of life. So I don't hold on to things easily. But I promise you that as soon as we start saying, Lord, I want to learn how to do that, He will test us. And He will say, well, give away or give or, or um, do something that's going to cause you to go, wow, I wouldn't have done that six months ago. How do you hold on? What is mine and what is His? Because if it's all His, then He just says, I want you to share it. And Jesus uh, shared that with us by the way he lived. He had nothing, and yet he had everything, and people flocked to him. And we're also just going through a study of 1 John. And uh, in, in, 1, in 1 John uh, chapter 5, he, he talks about, uh, from verse 4, For everyone born of God overcomes the world. This is the victory that has overcome the world, even our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world? Only he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. And what does that mean? It really means that overcoming the world means, how do I get over my own self-centeredness? How do I get over my own selfishness? How do I get over my own sense of mindness that is so deeply entrenched in me? My security is rooted in that. Well, the only way I can get over that is when... God reveals himself to me in Jesus and I begin to understand the meaning and purpose of life and begin to start sensing the reality of God's spirit as being what's deeply inside me is giving meaning. And God's spirit begins to birth in me a strength and a perception of life that begins to release my grip on me in the way that holds on it with a desperate insecurity. And I start to embrace him and be embraced by him and let go of that. And say, Lord, I'm going to trust you with my life. I'm going to trust you with my possessions. And I'm going to ask you to teach me. I'm going to be the child that you see me to be. Not childish, but the child. And I'm going to celebrate that you are my father that, who will never let me go. And I'm going to learn how to sleep in the storms like Jesus did when he was in the, in the midst of that storm on the, on the, on the uh, Galilee Sea. And the disciples panicked and Jesus said, Trust, I'm trusting in my Father, really what he was saying. Why are you so uh, shallow in your faith? Don't let the circumstances around you be the thing that determines what you do and how you do it. Learn to live in relationship with God the Father and let him be the source of your strength and your peace and your life in the midst of whatever circumstances there are. Because in this world, the fallen world will always bring strife, will always bring death, will always bring disease, will always bring negative things. And the world of the Spirit that is entered into this world through Jesus and through His Spirit in you and me 
has overcome the world. And there is a spiritual truth there. And what God is trying to say to many of us is, I want you to learn to live in the strength and the truth of your identity. That you, as, as followers of Jesus, those who have said yes to him as he has come and found you, he says you have an authority and a life that you never had before. You have overcome the world. You have actually, I will give you strength to go in a counterintuitive manner. Only he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God is he that has overcome the world. This is the one who came by water and, and blood, Jesus Christ. He did not come by water only, but by water and blood. And it is the Spirit who testifies, because the Spirit is truth. For there are three that testify, the Spirit, the water, and the blood. And the, th- and the three are in agreement. The Spirit, the water, and the blood. The Spirit is the life, the, the eternal life, present now, the the water is the water of baptism. The water that, that is, I die to self. I say, Jesus, please forgive me for all I have done that is in rebellion to you. Forgive the mind that is me. And then the blood, of course, is the blood shed on the cross. The blood of Jesus that paid the price for our rebellion. Whether we are innocent or whether we, didn't, we meant it or not, we are part of that polluted uh, race, if you will. And so these two worlds are continually in tension. The world of the kingdom of God and the world of the kingdom of darkness. And Jesus came into the world to say, you have been called to bear witness and to live as those who are members of the kingdom of heaven. You can be like I am in the world right now. So when you see people, you see truth, you see compassion, you, you feel compassion, you, you, you share with them, you go up to them like all these lost guitars and say, you're not meant to be here, you were stolen, your life has been stolen, why don't you come back, let, let me take you back to the place where, where God will restore you to what you were intended to be and in doing so we are overcoming the work of the one who was a thief who stole our lives. The one who said, there is nothing else, so you better hold on to mine. The one who lies to us and deceives us and says, we are the center of life. Jesus came to reveal. Because what does light do? He said he's the light of the world. And light reveals truth. And the truth reveals what really is. And there are two truths that are always revealed in the light of God. The truth that I have fallen short. The truth is that I am rebellious. The truth is that... There's a lot of me that is not under alignment with God. The other truth is, he loves and he cares and he rescues and he redeems. So those trees always go together. An electric light bulb only bears witness to the power in it when it shines. When it's not shining, I know that the power is not there. And the same is true with Christians. And in fact, that's what we we read earlier on. Jesus said, you are the light of the world. You are the salt of the world. And if the salt has lost its flavor, if the light is under a cover, it's useless. And there are many, many people who say they believe in God. I mean, I was reading the other day about the woman woman of Samaria who came to the well where Jesus was sitting. And you remember he said to her, can I have some water? I'm, I'm thirsty. And she says, well, why are you even talking to me? And they get into this conversation and she she, she talks to him about where the, what Jews say about where they should worship and they have quite a discussion and really she knew quite a lot about God and where they should worship but she had six husbands. Her lifestyle was not consistent with what she knew in her head about God or what she knew in her head about the theology of the Jews and the Samaritans. 
And many, many people live with words in their heads and thoughts in their heads and belief systems in their heads that are not consistent with their lifestyle. It doesn't change their lives. What changed her life, that woman at the well, was when Jesus said, I know you. And without judgment, he merely revealed to her the truth about her life. And she ran back into town and said, come and see somebody who told me all that I ever am. She was astounded, but Jesus met her relationally at a heart-to-heart encounter. And that's where God wants to meet each one of us. He wants us to know what it's like to be in His presence and know absolute love and absolute truth. Not condemnation, but revelation of truth that causes me to go, you're right. And to begin to understand how much I've been robbed of life in this kingdom of darkness that I live. And so he says, you are the salt of the, the, the earth. You are the light of the world. And you notice that in John. In, in, in John writes, uh, well, John doesn't write, Matthew writes uh, the, the comments of Jesus where he says, you are the light of the world. It takes John's comment about, I am the light of the world, that uh, Jesus spoke in John. And he says, you are the light of the world. In other words, Jesus says, if I am the light and I live in you, you become light and you reflect my values, you reflect who I am. And our, our calling is to be light and salt in the world. Light doesn't do any use. If I turn on a light bulb in the midst of a floodlit room, it does nothing. Light shines brightly when it's out in the dark. Salt flavors when it's out of the salt shaker. And God is calling us as Christians, as those who follow him, to go out into the world. And one of the reasons we go out is to draw the last day. And I was on a sailing trip last a few weeks ago uh, with a bunch of guys from the church, guys from the church. And it was our last day. And we were sailing, uh, there was a wind up, so we were sailing, and the wind, the sails were up, and all, all these boats, it was a 40-foot sailboat, and we had a, a dinghy at the back that bobbed up and down behind us. And suddenly Bill turns around, uh, we'd been sailing, he says, where's the dinghy? And the dinghy's, uh, the knot's come undone, and it, it, it's disappeared. So immediately the sails come down, the engine's on, and we turn around, and Ken is up at the front, looking around, scouring the horizon, and you begin to appreciate how hard it is to find something lost when it's at sea. But fortunately, uh, you know, we, we had a sense of where the wind and the current was going. And half an hour later, we saw this little narrow strip of black in the distance. And we went to recover the dinghy. But what struck me and what strikes me is that that's what God does. We were, we were created to be attached to God. And uh, we came adrift. In fact, uh, none... Mo- we, we are born into a place where many of us are adrift. We've never been attached to this, the sailboat, if you will. And, and God sent Jesus. As soon as we were, as we were lost, God sent him. And he said, I will come and search for my lost. And when I search for them, I said, let's get reattached so that we can uh, travel together from now on. And that's what salt and light does. Salt and light draws the good out. Salt and light explodes. Explo- explo- excuse me, exposes uh, all that is. So we walk the streets to proclaim that the spirit world, the kingdom of God is truth. And the tangible physical world in which we live is what has got corrupted. 
And just as Jesus walked through Galilee and walked through Jerusalem and spoke the truth of God, so as we walk our streets, we say, in the spirit realm first, because remember, again, this is the counterintuitive thing, and, and, and I'm finishing with this, but we are used to going, I look at my circumstances, I feel my feelings, and then I say, this is my truth. And in one sense, that is my truth. But in the kingdom of God, you go, don't believe what you see necessarily. What is God saying here? What is the truth? The truth is that wherever I am right now, God is Lord. God is God. The kingdom of God is here, but it is not manifest because the people who are here are not aware of who He is. So salt and light helps bring awareness. If you're in darkness and somebody switches on the light, you immediately know that there's somebody there because the light has gone on. And so God calls us to go into the streets and say, proclaim my goodness, proclaim my lordship. And then you will see change taking place. Speak the truth in the kingdom of God, in the spirit realm, before uh, you just submit to whatever you see. So one of the reasons for walking the streets of our cities is to proclaim that truth and to say, Lord, I pray for the street and I pray for everybody who lives on the street. I proclaim that you own them, that they belong to you, that your love is complete for them, that Jesus went to the cross for them. And even if they don't know it now, I pray that in the spirit realm you will pour out your blessing and your life and your light and that you will bring opportunities and relationships into everybody in the street so that they would come to know you. And you just proclaim truth and you walk through the streets of your city proclaiming the truth in the spirit and praying that God eventually, in the mystery, because this is a huge mystery, will bring about in the tangible healing, hope, new relationships with him that will change lives. So Jesus spoke words into people's lives that brought healing. He didn't wait for something to change in the tangible. He spoke with authority in the kingdom of God. He spoke with power. He said in the name of Jesus, or he didn't say in the name of Jesus, he just said, be healed. So he spoke words in the spirit that brought life in the flesh. And our, our privilege and the excitement of the journey we have is to speak truth into our lives, over our circumstances, into the world in which we live first and then see how God works that out so that they actually become tangible. So that in the fallen world, heaven is expressed and we see overcoming, happening, day by day in our lives and in the world in which we live. So what is God asking you to let go of? As, as, as we, we ask the Holy Spirit to take these words and make them real in our lives, Lord, what are you calling me to just be aware of where I'm saying mine too much? What is he asking you to let go of? And one of the ways you'll know that is by just being aware of if Jesus was standing before you now, what is it that you'd be most afraid that he would pinpoint in your life? What would you be going, I hope he doesn't go there. Well, that's probably where he wants to go. Not because he wants to steal from you. He just wants to say, you know, that's getting in the way because you're trusting in it too much. Your security is in that. And it's, it's actually crippling you. And you're asking me to work, but this is getting in the way. It's the elephant in the room, and, and we're not talking about it, but it's really the thing that's stopping you. I want to be your security. I want to be the source of your identity and your hope and your life. 
And I'll teach you how to do that. But just let's acknowledge it. And all we need to do is stand there and say, Jesus, I acknowledge that I'm scared of letting this go. I'm scared of giving you this part of my heart. Or I'm scared of what you might do with my possessions. And I just ask you to help me overcome that. So Lord, will you overcome the world in me so that I might be used by you to be salt and light in the world? Will you teach me how to live in the kingdom of heaven on earth so that I might be one who bears witness to truth that is not just the stuff around me or the circumstances, but the truth of my relationship with you? These are mysteries, but they're also knowable and they're not just spiritual talk. They're actually ways we can begin to grow in so that our lives reflect the risen Lord Jesus in wonderful ways. So Father, we pray that you would just take these maybe jumbled words and use them in our lives to bring life. May we be salt and light. May we be overcomers in the world because we understand that everything we have is yours. But you also say to us, everything you have is ours. And so in fact, when we come into relationship with you, we have a great transaction because we give you the very little we have and we receive the richness of your kingdom and the richness of being your children, the richness of the inheritance we receive from you. We receive life, forgiveness, hope, joy, peace, patience, kindness, long-suffering and much, much more. So we ask you to teach us, fill us with your Spirit and give us community one with another that we might encourage each other in these things. In your name we pray. Amen.